welcome to Quarantine Spook Show. I want to paint a portrait real quick. This is live from Peacock Parlor. The fire is crackling in the background. The streets are deserted at night with the exception of the occasional car. Candles are lit. Cats are abound. And the virus goes on outside. As many things as the virus can take away. It can't take away our spooks. I'm Kyle Carezzi, and again, this is Quarantine Spook Show. I'll be playing a set of improvised stories. All of these are titles that I've never seen before. If you'd like to submit a title, you can email quarantinespookshow at gmail.com. Feel free to send a barrage of them, and I'll filter them in uh, to a hat of some sort, and read them as I go on and read these stories. And if you want more updates, you can follow uh, Quarantine Spook Show on Twitter, at Quarantine Spook. And our RSS feed is imminent uh, for this to be in podcast form. That should be up in the next week or so. In the meantime, I have some spooks for you. And our first story for the evening is called Lolita's Garden. Wednesday night. Not, not too many people were out. Some the bars were open and people were having drinks, uh, having a hell of their time and uh, their own spheres and their own experiences. And uh, Thaddeus and Jean walked together, crossing intersections, waiting for the walk sign to come up even though there are no cars to go by. And Thaddeus turned to Jean and he asked, hey, have you ever seen Lolita? Jean pondered and thought, is that the Stanley Kubrick movie? And Thaddeus said, yeah, 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 he made it, but it was a book first from, uh, what's his name, Nabokov. Jean nodded, remembering, remembering the name Lolita. He knew some of the iconography of the story, but he answered honestly, no, I haven't seen it. In fact, he said, well, the Hollywood Theater is playing Lolita right now. It's right on the marquee up there. And Gene turned his head and lo and behold, Lolita was playing live in the Hollywood Theater that night. It was an old printing, a 16mm print. It might have been a bit grainy, but that's how Gene liked his movies. 
as much as he enjoyed streaming movies and television shows and whatnot, nothing could quite top the uh, movie-going experience at a live theater packed with people all waiting for to have their minds blown by whatever was going to come on the screen. So Gene was like, alright, uh, so you're reaching to see Lolita at the Hollywood Theater? And Patty said, yeah, why not? Uh, you know, we just got back from the bar, the uh, Moon and Sixpence. We were going to go to another bar somewhere in the area, but uh, let's just see a movie. And Gene said, alright, I'm buying. So Thaddeus and Gene, they enter the lobby of the Hollywood Theater. It's almost as empty as, as the streets. But a lot of Lolita enthusiasts were gathered around in the theater. A lot of Kubrick heads. That's what I call Kubrick fan fans. And Hollywood tended to play a lot of Kubrick films, such as 2001 A Space Odyssey and such as that and so forth. But everyone was going to see Lolita. Thaddeus and Gene, they got their tickets, got some popcorn, some beer, and they went to the theater uh, on, the, on the upper floor uh, for Lolita, and they went in and they noticed that the theater was sold out, and it's like, oh, that's strange, well, we got our ticket anyway, I don't see how these, uh, this theater was, why would this theater be packed if we got our tickets, unless someone snuck in, so they told the front desk about it, and they said they'd see what they could do. But, uh, when the attendant went to ask everyone to see their ticket, everyone already had their ticket. So Gene and Thaddeus just said, huh, it's pretty strange. Must have been a misprint or something. And the attendant looked at them, spent at the theater for a while. He says that he's, the he's volunteered there the longest. Thaddeus just thought, oh, that was neat, and Gene concurred. So the attendant said, hey, you know, we're doing more than one showing of Lolita. And Thaddeus and Gene said, oh, yeah? And the attendant said, yeah, you can go see our theater on the third floor. And Gene thought, wait a minute, I didn't know the Hollywood Theater had a third floor. I thought there was only two. There's the larger theater in the first floor with a lot of more of the uh, mainstream pictures that, that may play, or the shows that may draw in a larger audience, and then the uh, smaller theaters up above for movies that's been on the run for a while, or things that maybe people were possibly less inclined to see. But the attendant said, oh no, we got a third floor. You can't see it from the street, but it exists, I assure you. And Thaddeus was like, alright, cool. I mean, the Hollywood Theater is really cool. I've always like to explore it as much as possible, as well as the rest of cinema history. And Gene was just like, I don't know. I mean, you know, yeah, fuck it, let's go to the third floor. I don't have any reason not to go to a mysterious third floor that I'd never heard of until just now. So the intended, uh, alright, follow me, the intended said. So he led him to a door next to one of the theaters. It was an old door, he had to use a key to unlock it. Right this way, he escorts them up the stairs, and they're walking. A bit windier than they expected, this stairwell. But when 
the stairwell ended, it led right to another theater, larger than the two smaller theaters on the second floor. And the Hollywood Theater certainly committed to uh, an old-fashioned way of seeing movies, but this theater looked old. Hollywood was known for using a lot of renovations to uh, spruce up their movie-going experiences. This just looked, you know, straight from the 1940s. It was almost dusty, even. And Jean was the one to inquire, Oh, why does this, uh, this doesn't seem well-kempt, you know? I see some boxes in the corner over there. It looks like you're kind of using this for storage. And the attendant nodded and says, Yeah, well, we're, we're, we're working this theater up, you know? We usually don't like to publicize it until, like, it's up to snuff and it's ready to go. Consider this a... A soft release of this uh, screening of Lolita. And Gene and Fatty said, all right, very cool, very cool, very exclusive. What can go wrong? So they sat down with their popcorn and beer. There are no little tables like in the uh, upper floor theaters, but uh, they make do the old-fashioned way. So the screen goes on, and then the movie Lolita begins. Now, Gene has never seen Lolita, so this is a fresh experience to him. And Thaddeus, he's seen Lolita at least three times. He's seen, he's seen every Kubrick fi film at least three times. And he was anticipating seeing Lolita for a fourth, especially on the big screen. So the movie starts, and uh, the first shot is of a garden. It's a modest garden. outside of a house. It has so many, a wide array of uh, colors of flowers, different types of flowers. It has roses, lilies, lilacs. Truly a thing of beauty. And it just stayed on the screen for about five minutes. And Gene was like, all right, well, I guess Kubrick's pretty, you know, he likes to really drive into the experience of a movie, so I guess this was just, like, his thing he did, you know. Then another five minutes went by, and uh, if you didn't know any better, he'd say it was, just, it was just raw footage of this garden. And then Thaddeus leans to Gene, and he says, this isn't Lolita. And Gene's just like, what do you mean? Like, this isn't Lolita, this isn't the movie, I don't know what this is. Maybe it's like a preview or something, or maybe something, you know, some sort of promotion thing? No, no, I have, you know, this, this looks like live footage, right? Yeah, yeah. And Gene's just like, alright, maybe we can, you know, try to, like, stand in the other Lolita theater or something. And Thaddeus is like, no, let's keep watching. Let's see where this goes. And Gene's just like, alright, reluctantly. So they're watching. Another five minutes go by garden, and the wind picks up a little bit more, and then someone enters a shot. We can't see their face. It's someone wearing a dress, picking some flowers, and then they leave the frame, and then the frame changes to a cemetery, and it just shows a barrage of stone, tombstones, and uh, graves. There's a funeral happening far in the background. Everyone was wearing black suits and 
black dresses. One person had a collared cotton shirt that was gray and then had a tie on it. But then it shows a frame of the person with the dress walking. And she held the flowers. She held roses, lilies, and lilacs. And she followed a cobblestone path. she approached two tombstones side by side and she left flowers by their graves and the name said Thaddeus and Jean and Jean was just like oh whoa this is this is ridiculous what, what, what is this and Thaddeus was just like yeah this is good footage like no no like that's our names dude like what's going on Thaddeus was just like, I don't know. We should get out of here or ask someone. And she was like, yeah, let's get out of here. And Thaddeus was like, wait, I changed my mind. Let's just keep watching. Let's. I want to see how this movie ends. And Gene was just like, it ends with us dead. Come on. No, this is after we're dead. Like, think about it. If this is some spooky ring shit, like, this takes place after we die. How many people have you know have ever seen footage of anything after they're dead? And Gene's just like, that's pretty cool, I guess. But this is still a bad idea. I mean, this is obviously a spooky thing beyond our grasp. We should probably just get out of Dodge. And Thaddeus just like, no, no, that's probably what they want. And then someone spooky's gonna get us. So if someone spooky is gonna get us, let's just watch the footage and see how this ends. And Gene's just like, God damn it, Thaddeus. That's such a goddamn good argument. Who else can see past their death? And Thaddeus was just like, no one. And Gene was just like, alright. But after the movie's over, we just book it. Even through the window, I don't care. And Thaddeus was just like, alright, deal. So they keep watching the footage. And then... It cuts to a funeral parlor. For the cemetery. Through the lobby, goes through the back halls and the back offices, and pulls out a binder from a bottom shelf. Then it opens the binder, and it's a list of names of people buried. And the year was 2023. And Thaddeus was just like, oh shit, that's when we die. And Gene was just like, that's not cool though, I don't want to know that. Let's keep watching. So the pages flip in the binder. And then the two names, uh, Thaddeus and Gene, show up. And their uh, names were next to each other uh, alphabetically. Uh, one of their... Gene's na last name was Heard. Uh, Thaddeus' last name was Hearing. So it was Heard and Hearing. And it was very, very convenient alphabetically. If they went to school together, they'd sit together in every classroom. <laughs> So then the camera lens goes down on their names. It's in brackets, like an Excel spreadsheet. But then there's an identifier next to their names that says... Missing. And Gene and Thaddy saw that the in the binder that they were missing. Their bodies were missing. That's what the binder was indicating. What the filmmaker, the camcorder holder, was trying to communicate. 
Gene was just like, alright, so we don't die in 2023. And Thaddeus was like, no, we just go missing. That doesn't necessarily mean we're dead. And Gene was just like, well, that doesn't necessarily mean we're alive either. So they see their names on the binder. And Gene just ravagely says, Thaddeus, we gotta get the balls out of here. And Thaddeus was just like, well, you know, I want to know why we're missing. And Gene's just like, dude, come on. I want to know. Thaddeus was just like, that's right. Now let's just keep watching, see where Lolita's, this lo version of Lolita, let's call it Lolita's Garden. Let's see where it goes. The camera cuts to outside the Hollywood, Hollywood theater. It doesn't, they don't know what time of year it was in, or what year it was in. But the theater looks marginally different, a little bit, uh, upkeep a little bit. Up the poster and they see uh, movies that are about to come out that uh, they've never heard of before. A new Wes Anderson movie that doesn't exist yet. So then the camera goes up into the lobby, up into the second floor of theaters, uses a key to unlock the door that leads up the winding stairwell of the third theater. They go up to the, th the camera goes up to the theater and shows the seats and sees two skeletons where Thaddeus and Gene were sitting. And Gene just gets up like, no, I'm out, I'm out. And Thaddeus was just like, what are you doing? Come on. And Gene was just like, no, this, this is their death, dude. Those are our skeletons. And Thaddeus was like, well, if we don't know they were our skeletons. They're wearing the outfits that we're wearing. And Thaddeus was just like, come on, Gene. I gotta tell you something. This is the best movie I've ever seen in my life. This is surreal and awesome. And if I want to die uh, finishing it, I'm going to. But you can go. You can go ahead. Fine. I'll see it by myself. And then it will be a less remarkable movie because it's not true. And then Jesus is like, fine, I'm out of here. Good, good luck to you, Thaddeus. I'll go to your funeral and I'll tell, you where the tell people where the body is so you can be buried properly. So then Gene goes to the door, and it's locked. And this is like, Thaddeus, it's locked. And Thaddeus was like, did you think it would be unlocked? And Gene was just like, I guess not. Gene then tries the window in the projector room uh, once he goes up there. And he's just like, oh, I don't wanna, I don't wanna see this through. I wanna get out of this building, you know? I wanna keep living. And then he watches the projector keep showing footage of the theater and whatnot. But Gene doesn't have the heart to dismantle the projector, to end the movie, to end this possible iteration of their doom. And Gene, he's watching the movie from the projector. He's never been inside a projector room before, let alone have seen a movie from it. It's a remarkable experience. You can see a light cast from the projector, all the dust flying around the light's view. It's a remarkable experience if you ever had it. So Gene leans out the uh, window opening, and he's just watching the movie, and he's just like, you know what? I'll see this to the end. So it shows more footage of the theater, you know? It also starts to turn into like a like a tour kind of footage thing. It's like, some, it's like footage of someone cleaning a garage, you know? Goes through boxes, goes through, uh, you know, 
picked some some pipes and whatnot, some uh, drafted plans of the uh, Oregon reinstallation, and then it shows a uh, death certificate of the attendant that they met earlier, who allegedly died in 1987. And Thaddeus just like, ah, saw that coming. And Gene was just like, ah, oh, Thaddeus. And Thaddeus was just like, oh, come on, just come down and sit with me. And Gene was like, fine, fine, if we're going to do this, let's do it together. So Gene joins him back where he was sitting, and they're watching a movie, eating the popcorn and drinking the beer. And they get a little woozy. And then Gene suddenly looks at the beer, and he says, Thaddeus, I think this beer was poisoned. Thaddeus was like, yeah, I think so. I definitely feel like I've been poisoned, you know, despite the evidence to the contrary. And Gene was like, all right, maybe we weren't poisoned. Maybe the popcorn was poisoned. And Thaddeus was just like, yeah, I could, that could be true. To both of those explanations, it, uh, it indeed could happen. And then all of a sudden, the movie cuts out. It ends. Thaddeus is just like, alright, well, this movie's over. This is the part where we die now. And Gene was just like, no, nah, I think I just have an upset stomach. I don't think it's poison. And Thaddeus was like, I mean, it could be. I mean, we're supposed to die here, allegedly. And then it's just like, Gene goes to the door again, tries to get out. And he's just like, oh, hey, it's unlocked. And Thaddeus is like, what? He's like, yeah, let's, let's get out of here. And Thaddeus was just like, well, and Gene was like, what? I mean, what made the movie good was that it was true. That was our death. If we just waltz out of here, you know, it's not a very interesting movie, is it? And Gene was just like, Thaddeus, I'm booking it. I'm getting out of here. And Thaddeus was just like, yeah, you know what? Let's, let's go. This is a bit silly at this point. So they go down the stairs and they see a tenant waiting there. And Gene was just like, hey, uh... So what was the deal with that movie we saw? It uh, wasn't Lolita. It wasn't what we were planning. And the attendant was like, no, it's called Lolita's Garden. And Gene was just like, oh, well, it's the story behind that movie. And the attendant was like, well, it's just uh, someone who worked for the Hollywood one day did a little uh, student film of sorts. Just did a bunch of footage and... Uh, wanted to make it spooky and wanted to pull a prank of uh, people who would see the movie and then they put their cut their names into the film and then it would be like watching their death essentially you know and we uh we grabbed some shirts that look similar to yours and uh we just uh took your names and just scribbled them real quick on a piece of paper so that movie was being made in real time while <laughs> you're watching it that's why the footage took so long to wrap up, you know? And Gene was just like, oh, that seems like a lot of work for, you know, something so small. And the attendant was like, yeah, but was it worth it, though? And Thaddeus was just like, yeah, hell yeah, that was really cool. And Gene was just like, alright, well, we better get out of here. I guess we it's getting pretty late, you know, it's past midnight. We ought to head back. And the attendant was like, yeah, you should come see a movie here again, you know? You think it'd be great? And Gene was just like, yeah, sure, I mean, I'd love the Hollywood. And the attendant was like, yeah, you know, but I love small talk, you know, but we're closing soon. And Gene was like, oh, okay, I 
guess we'll leave. So like, yeah, you gotta, you gotta get out of here. So Gene's like, all right, jeez, all right, we'll go. So Gene and Thaddeus, they stand out the theater. Thaddeus just turns to Gene and it's like, well, as it turns out, nothing spooky happened at all. It was just a lot, just a, you know, just a live spooky experience we were experiencing being made up on the fly. Who would have thought? And Gene was like, yeah, it's kind of weird that we didn't die at the end of this. But then they looked from the street at the theater more closely, and it didn't have a, good, a third floor. The end. <laughs> I'm gonna take a break from Hollywood theater, which will be easy because we're quarantined. Yes, I this the uh, this story took place in a in a world that wasn't quarantined. <laughs> I thought that'd be a, a little Quarantine? yeah dimension yeah. Hollywood theater. Mm-hmm. Ah, so that was a neat little story that took place in a world outside of any sort of uh, COVID-related shenanigans. This next story is called The Snitch. between starting off in elementary school when you weren't around the curse and then going into fifth grade into middle school where everyone kept talking about, you know, talking about uh, violence and sex and grand concepts that they had knew nothing about. But it was all thrown at a uh, little Leon at once. He just wanted to, you know, he didn't like the bullies. He didn't like it. A lot of the people that he met there, he just wanted to get by, you know, like any any sort of kid would. There was one day where he got in a fight with other kids, a fight as in two kids jumped him on his way walking back from school, and he roughed him up. They roughed him up so much that his jacket was torn and whatnot. And then Leon was just like, you know what, I can't take anymore. I don't know if I can handle school anymore, but I don't have anyone else to talk to about these school shenanigans. This is a true hardship for my young life. So as he was going to bed that night, he had trouble sleeping, you know. He essentially wandered his house and whatnot. So he woke up the next morning before, sun, before sunrise and he just sat on his porch thinking about things, you know thinking about middle school and how hard that was 
far in the distance on the edge of his yard against the trees. His house was next to the woods somewhat, and his school wasn't far only a ten minute walk. But out at the edge of the trees, he saw a, he saw a cloaked figure with the head of a goat and horns. And he just stood there, very tall, very stoic. But the kid in a half-dream state walks up to the goat figure. And he asks, who are you? And he says, ah, oh, no need to worry about that. You can just call me your new friend. And Leon says, okay. I'm skeptical. I don't like talking to strangers, especially ones just hanging out in my yard and whatnot. Well, no need to worry about that, you know. How about I earn my trust with you? And Leon says, what do you mean? And the cloaked goat figure says, well, those two kids that jumped you yesterday, I'll make sure something bad happens to them when you get back to school this day. And Leon was just like, ah. I mean, I don't know what else you can do, you know, whatever you do to them, they'll still be dicks. And the goat person was just like, ah, oh, just you wait. And then he waved his hands and he vanished with a blink. So, Leon had trick cereal that morning and he, uh, went to school and took a math class. Uh, with some, uh, preliminary to algebra. Not quite algebra, but a lot of like numbers were in it, you know, like math class. Math class that you were take with uh, that fifth grade. Uh, a lot of classes in fifth grade are kind of useless in the context of adult living. So it's just a lot about like, oh, remember George Washington? It's just like, yeah, we know about George Washington, you know. He's on the dollar bill, you know, that's cool. And there's one history class where we learned about Scandinavia, and that was that was pretty cool. That was an alright class. So when lunch comes around, he sees the two kids that jumped him, and he just tried to avoid eye contact with them, you know. He wouldn't learn until years later that it was a lot of, uh, he incorporated a lot of prison habits into his, uh, daily comings and goings in middle school, you know, just trying not to get, uh, too much attention from the wrong people. He didn't want to, he, wanted, he didn't want to be messed with to any capacity. So then he sees the two kids sitting at a lunch table and doesn't really pay too much mind to them. He's just like drinking, uh, you know, just some great grape juice and some pizza, you know, just in the lunch line. It wasn't great pizza, but again, he didn't know that until years later. So the kids are just sitting there and whatnot. Eventually, Leon just, like, starts thinking about the goat person, like, oh, what did the goat person mean about that? And then he hears two screams, and it was both the kids, and they're being chased by bees. And the kid's like, bees? In school? And then everyone's just like, bees! So everyone starts running around, trying to go for the exits, but the bees are just, like, particularly chasing these two kids. Outside, you know, they get stung a lot, you know. No uh, severe wounds, other than getting attacked by a lot of bees. Uncomfortable and painful for everyone, but certainly not fatal in this context. 
Thank goodness, Leon thought. But he secretly liked that the bullies that wounded him so got a comeuppance of some sort. goes to bed again and then he wakes up at dawn and he sees the goat person again and this time he approaches the goat person with less hesitance and he's just like hey did you send those bees after those two bullies and the goat person said yes yes I did and Leon's just like oh well that's pretty cool of you I guess I trust you I guess because you'll do favors for me and whatnot that's pretty cool for a seemingly satanic goat person. You look like someone from a Slayer album cover. And the goat person was just like, I don't know if that's a compliment or insult, but, you know, whatever. But, you know, if you want to be friends, Leon, you know, I need you to do things for me, too. Friends help each other out. And Leon was just like, alright, well, what, what can I help you with, new friend? And Leon was just like, well, you go to school. It's a Catholic school. A lot of the kids out there where you do wear uniforms and uh, get taught about the Bible and whatnot, as well as George Washington. So, but I need you to tell me when people uh, don't like it, when people do things against uh, Satan, and Leon's just like, Satan, like, yeah, Satan. But everyone in a Catholic school doesn't like Satan. And Leon said, yeah, I know, that's their problem. But uh, if you see anyone, you know, tampering with black magic, trying to incorporate Christian experience, uh, Christian uh, pagan type of things with, with uh, satanic magic, you know, anyone who's trying to do things against Satan's will, I need you to tell me. Exorcisms, anything like that, etc. Leon's just like, oh, well, that's, I've never seen any of that before. I don't know how I would even notice that when I saw it happening. You know, just anyone just trying to, like, you know, trying to adapt pagan rituals in a Christian context. If anyone adapts any pagan, any pagan rituals into a Christian context, you gotta tell me. I don't want those Christians having anything to do with those pagan rituals. And Leon was just like, well, what about Easter? Especially Easter, the good person said. I need you to tell me this. And Leon was just like, well, if I see anyone painting eggs, I'll let you know, but Easter's not for a while. And the good person was just like, it's not about Easter. Just anyone just doing, like, black magic stuff in a Christian context, just tell me. Anyone doing a ritual, anything in those walls, just let me know about it. And Leon's just like, alright, I guess I can do that. Leon just like went to school that day, not really understanding the full grasp of uh, what the ghost goat person was talking about. He didn't know what the word pagan meant. But he's alright, so any rituals that happen in the school, I'll tell the goat person. Simple enough. So Leon just goes about his day for the next two weeks, not seeing the goat person. And then one day he's uh he sees one of the bullies, he passes him in the hall, he still has a lot of scars from the bee stings that happened, you know, 
he kind of reminded him of a, a never-ending story, you know, when all those bullies at the end of the movie get their comeuppance and whatnot. It's like us, it's like a cheeky 80s movie's revenge, you know, like a Disney Channel revenge. I guess that's what those bees were. Or maybe The Craft, which was a bit darker, but you know. So Leon saw the person with the bee stings, and Leon just kind of erupted, and he's just like, hey, you're an asshole. And the bully was just like, oh, come on, I just got attacked by bees, I'm on the verge of changing my ways. And Leon's just like, I don't care, you suck. But a teacher heard that, and the teacher was just like, alright, Leon, you're getting detention. He's just like, why, everyone else curses. And the teacher was like, yeah, but I didn't hear them, you gotta stay after school. And then Leon's just like, alright, fine, I'll stay after school. realized that sitting in detention that interacting with this uh seemingly satanic most likely some sort of alchemist pagan goat person was uh helping his confidence a little bit you know giving him a, like a bit of gumption you know confronting his problems which is probably a good way to address them so leon said and uh you know, just waited out detention, did homework, because you're allowed to do that, and he was just like, oh, I should get detention all the time, because this is a perfect window to do homework, and then I have a whole day free. And during this, uh, strand of thought, he was just like, alright, uh, the teacher was like, alright, detention's up, time to go. And Leon's like, alright. So Leon's just, you know, walking with his backpack alone in the hall. He's gonna walk from school again that day. And then he sees a janitor's closet with the, the door cracked open and he hears a chanting come out of it and he's just like oh that's weird and then he opens the janitor's door and there's another another door in like the back wall of it that's open like a cellar door and Leon's just like oh that's even stranger I shouldn't go down there but I want to help out my goat friend. If I didn't have that goat friend, I wouldn't be doing this, but I'm going to. So he goes down a small flight of stairs, nothing too deep subterranean. And then he goes into a basement area, and he sees a ritual happen. It's a Christian exorcism. They're trying to exorcise uh, one of his fellow students when he was learning about Scandinavia. He recognized her, and it was uh, a very classic... Uh, Scandin uh, very classic uh, exorcism, you know, it uh, had, had the cross, it had the, uh, the power of Christ compels you. And Leon's just like, oh, I gotta tell the goat person about this. But he didn't know how to contact the goat person, so he's just like, oh, well, how do I do that? So he goes to the library in his Catholic school, and he goes to the forbidden section with all the occult knowledge and whatnot. And he pulls a book with a cover that resembled the goat person. And he sees it in there, and he's just like, all right. He finds a, he finds a ritual. It was uh, published by the Archdiocese, and he finds a ritual to contact the goat person. He performs the ritual. It's just a simple chant and sprinkling uh, some salt and other herbs that he found uh, in the kitchen of the school. It's a nice school. They have a lot of wide array of uh, spices and whatnot, and he found all of them very quickly. So he summons the goat person. Leon's just like, goat person, goat person, and goat person is just like, I have a name, you know, and Leon was just like, well, there's a ritual happening in the basement, it's an exorcism, I think it's Christian driven, I think this fits this category of the thing you were talking about, about uh, Christianity uh, adapting paganism and kind of just like, uh, you know, 
using it for their own needs, not really understanding the uh, context of such rituals. And uh, the ghost person was just like, alright, great, thanks. So he disappears in a blink and returns, and it's just like, alright, I've taken care of it. And Leon was just like, what? And then Leon goes downstairs, and uh, the basement's covered in blood and uh, three inches of it. And then Leon's just like, who are you, actually? And Goat Person was just like, I am Satan, as a matter of fact. The Christian iteration of Satan. I'm not, uh, I'm not working on behalf of pagan rituals. I'm just Satan doing Satan stuff in a Christian context. And Leon was just like, oh shit. And then Goat Person was just like, yes. And you used that ritual in these walls to summon me. And that book was summoned by the Archdiocese. That book, that book was written by the Archdiocese. So I must do the same to you, what I do to them. And Leon was just like, ah, oh, I guess I shouldn't have been a snitch. Well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, snitches do get stitches. That is the <laughs> that is a moral snitches turn that that is the moral of the story. I don't think there's any sort of snitch story that has. An op- an, a different moral, really. It's kind of, you know, a good, solid, uh, consistent consequence of snitches, getting stitches to some capacity. shows middle school can be tough it's hard to make good decisions at such a young age but needless to say good decisions at a young age are important nonetheless wow it had a moral I'd like to think I'm, I'm, I'd like to think some of my stories have morals they can be extrapolated at the very least some, some of them do <laughs> not all of them but at least some of them I think if there was an arch, an overreaching arch, it would be like, don't be those people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's see if, uh, let's see if this next story, the characters can make some better decisions. It's not like I'm making this stuff up, you know. Alright. This next story is called... <laughs> Alien Tourist Season. first learned that aliens came to Earth, he thought he'd be really cool with it, but it's actually not as cool as he thought he was, thought it was. It started off with one alien uh, visiting a cornfield and then leaving, telling these other aliens, and then they, they came back to help out with the pandemic, to fund relief and whatnot to do things humans so desperate, desperately needed help with. But as a vaccine is being worked on, 
humans are still social distancing, still quarantined, but now there are aliens everywhere. I tried to go to the Grand Canyon once, and all aliens were wearing Hawaiian shirts and just taking, you know, just hanging out and stuff. And it's just like, oh, these aliens, you know, quite a number of them. Another alien turned, well, it is their tourist season. And Archie was just like, yeah, I guess. And Archie was chatting with his uh, other friend, uh, Robert, and said, Archie, just lighten up. You know, let the aliens hang out and whatnot. And Archie was just like, yeah, you're right. You're right. I mean, they did help out with the pandemic a lot, and that's not as much of a problem as it used to be. So that's pretty cool. So, uh... Archie went home that night, you know, he was just, uh, dozing off. Then his phone rings, and he's just like, oh, who could be calling me at that late hour? And then, uh, he answers it, and it's, uh, an alien tourist, uh, from the Grand Canyon. Hey, hi, you're working with the, uh, Grand Canyon tour group? And Archie's just like, yeah, hi. Archie was a tour group for the Grand Canyon was a tour guide for the Grand Canyon, and he would help humans and aliens and tell them about the history of the Grand Canyon. It's just like, oh yeah, it's big, isn't it? And see aliens take pictures and whatnot, it's just like, oh yeah, you know. I mean, there are some places in space that have like larger canyons than this, but this is still pretty good, you know. Definitely like a feat for like Earth, you know. And Archie was just like, yeah, it's cool. So me on the phone, Archie was just like, yeah, so you're an alien. And I do do tours in the Grand Canyon, but I'm off duty right now. I don't work for another two days. And the alien was just like, yeah, yeah, but I need you to take me on a special tour through the Grand Canyon. And Archie was just like, a special tour? And he was just like, yeah, I need you, I need to go inside of the canyon. And Archie was just like, well, I don't really have the clearance to do that, nor the hiking ability. I mean, have you seen it? It's huge. And then, uh, the alien said, well, I have some space technology. I think it can help us out, uh, maneuvering through the bottom of the canyon, but I need to get to the bottom of the canyon. It's very important. And Archie was just like, all right, uh, I guess I can do that as, like, a contracting thing. If you help pay me personally, because it's not, I can't do that with the company. I can just help you out with that. And the alien was just like, great, I'll see you Tuesday. And... Archie was just like, well, I can't do Tuesday. What about Thursday? And alien, the alien was just like, ah, Thursday's not good for me. You know, your Gregorian calendar, it's really a big, it's a big mess. And Archie was just like, tell me about it. So they pick a day, Wednesday, between Thursday and Tuesday. And Archie meets with the alien. At the, and the alien was just like, all right, I'm ready to go. And Archie says, all right. Archie said, hey, you mentioned you have uh, some tools that you can, uh, or a vehicle that could help us get down there. And, uh, the alien was just like, yeah, yeah, I got some tools. So the alien, uh, they have a little, uh, vehicle. It's a roadside vehicle. But, uh, it could be used. It can also hover as well. So the alien's just like, oh, we can just hover down there. And Archie's just like, oh, that's intriguing. If we can have her down there, then maybe you don't need my help for it. And Archie's just like, no, no, I need a human to help me out with this. 
And Archie's just like, alright. Feeling a little bit suspicious about the situation. So they hop into the vehicle and they hover down. And uh, uh, the alien is the one that drive is driving. Uh, so he's going down to the bottom, you know. And the alien says, yeah, it's right around here. Then they land at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And there's a little opening of a small cavern over there. And Archie's just like, what is, what is this? And the alien's just like, oh, yeah, that's where I need to go. We should go together, you know, in case they need a guide or something. And then Archie says, all right, I'm not going to go a step further until you tell me what's going on. says, alright, I'm gonna be frank with you, you know. Uh, I'm gonna need your soul. And Archie says, my, my soul? And the alien says, like, yes, your soul. Uh, we aliens, we need human souls to, uh, you know, power our uh, iPods and stuff. And uh, vehicles, etc. And also, it's uh, used as human health. It's what we use human souls to uh, develop the pandemic vaccine that we're working on right now. And the Archie says, like, well, I don't want to Submit my soul in any way. And uh, the alien says, it's not your choice. If you're dying or something, then we can just take it and then use it for uh, tools. And then Archie's just like, no, I'm not abiding by that. And the alien says, well, everyone's souls can be recycled and used as a energy to power equipment and whatnot. It's a very high density of energy, and we need that for many of our species, you know. People of our species also recycle our souls for the good of the rest of the society, you know. It takes many hands to lift it. Whoa, 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 whoa. That sounds like a communist thing. And the alien's just like, I don't know what communism is, but, uh, you know, we all help each other out. That's kind of... That's... <laughs> we, well, the aliens, uh, you know, they've read it in books. They know who Karl Marx is. <laughs> But they're not applying communist principles to their society. Their society already kind of aligned with that a little bit, but not quite in a human context. It's a bit more complicated. So what you're saying not is quite they don't the same. let poets lie to them. They don't let poets lie to them. Their spe <laughs> this alien species doesn't have poetry in the way we understand it. Their poetry is through uh, infrastructure and, uh, you know, and science and whatnot. The invention of the light bulb was a brilliant form of poetry in this alien species. So the alien says, well, so Archie, I do need your soul. We need it for energy. It's not an exclusive privilege. We aliens commit our souls all the time. And not forcibly either. It's always willingly. Mostly willingly. The moral thing to do would be willingly, but you know, there's some aliens in the past that have just like taken it without permission, which is uncool. We're working on that. You know, we have our problems too. <laughs> we got some soul thieves around. So Archie, I'll pay you the respect you deserve. We deserve. Can I have your soul? And Archie's just like, no. The alien's just like, please. Archie's just like, I'm not doing it. And Archie was just like, well, if you die anyway, can I have it? And Archie was just like, I'll think about it. And the alien was just like, all right, when will that be? And Archie was just like, I don't know, for a while. Probably, like, another, my life expectancy is for another, like, uh, 30 years. And the alien's just like, oh, fuck, really? And Archie's just like, yeah. And the alien's just like, well, that'll 
take a while. Um, can I have it now? No. Uh, well, do you at least want to see what's in the cavern? We're up, we're down here all the way. I can show you what I need your soul for, at least. Perhaps that will persuade you to some capacity. And Archie's just like, well, who won't? But I'm down for learning, learning about cool alien shit. So they go into the cavern, you know, and it's a secret spaceship. Not a spaceship, uh, but like a lab, kind of. It was established by a species that arrived before humans. Or before humans evolved, really. And the alien was just going on this. It's like, yeah, there's a couple of species that came to Earth before uh, humans started to get their way of things, you know? So there's a lot of, like, technology buried in the ground and under the sea, especially under the sea. That's where a lot of it is. You should really head down there sometimes instead of just, like, hanging out on land and stuff. And Archie's just like, well, I don't make those kind of decisions and I don't have access to that kind of technology. And Archie's just like, well, we can, like, let you borrow some stuff. You know, it's cool. We do that stuff all the time, you know? We're down for other species learning about their own backyard, and Archie's just like, alright, alright, what, what is, are we almost there? And the alien's just like, almost. So the aliens, you know, we're, the alien and Archie, they're both walking down into the, uh, lab, uh, tunnels and hallways, all this technology new to Archie, you know, it looks surprisingly 80s, which you didn't expect. The alien was just like, oh yeah, it's pretty old technology, though, all things considered. It's still intergalactic, but old nonetheless. So, uh, eventually they go to a large room. Into this large, egg-shaped thing. And the alien says, ah, oh, this is what I need your soul for. And Archie asks, what is this? And the alien says, well, this is an egg incubation and there is a being inside of here a new species it doesn't have the same flaws that humans have or the same flaws that my species have this is a fresh start for all of life in general we've been working on it for a very long time and I we need your soul your soul specifically because your soul has specific uh, soul strands it's we have a very specific type of soul that we need this for the machine for it. And Archie's just like, well, sounds appealing. And, Arch and uh, the alien says, basically, if you submit your soul to this project, you'll still have sentience in this being. You won't, this being won't be you. And this, you won't be this being. But you'll still continue life in this being's eyes. So it's like having two lives, kind of. So you're getting one life for the price of two. Two lives for the price of one. Otherwise, you could just die and then your soul will dissipate into the infinite abyss, just like everyone else. Or it could be used for a good cause. Perhaps this could make the universe better. And your world better. So will you reconsider giving your soul for this wicked cool sci-fi project? And Archie thought about it. Seriously, he considered it chewed on it for about a minute or two and they said no I don't want to do that and Arch and the alien was just like well what do you mean I mean that sounds really cool I mean my soul won't work if it did I would totally do this and Archie was just like yeah but you're doing the same thing humans do you're 
putting all your investments on salvation, on this one, one easy fix that can fix everything, but that's never how life works. I don't think there's any species in the galaxy that could, that it actually works for. You probably know this too. And the alien bit his lip and he's just like, yeah, but this time it'll work though. And Archie's like, no, it never works, you know? Real constructive change takes time, takes deliberation, takes intent, takes, takes everyone being on board with the same purpose while still having their individual freedoms. Getting shit done is very complicated, and I'm not convinced this is the thing to do it. As cool as it sounds, but you're gonna need someone else's soul. And the alien said, uh, alright, fine. I guess I can't persuade you otherwise. She says, what are you doing? And the alien just starts inhaling very deeply. It's like a very windy sound to it. And Archie was just like, no, what are you doing? The alien keeps inhaling. And Archie's just like, stop. And he gets very weak in his limbs, in his bones. And then he falls to the ground. And his skin becomes more pale. And then he realizes the alien is sucking out his soul. No, knock it off. The alien keeps inhaling until eventually Artie's body ceases to be. And then the alien has Archie's soul stored in his cheeks. He's holding his breath. And then he takes a device, part of the machine, and blows into it. And then it powers the machine to a degree. Filters into the egg incub incubation chamber. And then suddenly the egg hatches. And then the new being comes out. Says, oh, yes, you're alive, finally. It's taken my whole life to work on this project, but it's finally done. You can be our savior. You can be the one to fix things and all that jazz for my species, for the humans, for everyone in the galaxy. And then the being nodded in a very uh, wise Zen past type of way. Not in a Zen way. I would say past Zen, you know. If Zen is an Alpha and Omega to people, then this is the next layer up. Unfathomable to humans and even this species of alien. And then suddenly the being grabbed the alien's throat and started choking it. And the alien's just like, oh, what are you doing? And the being is just like, it's me, Archie, you asshole. I've come to kill you because you took my soul. Without permission, by the way. So the being starts strangling the alien. And the alien's just like, I don't breathe through my neck, I breathe through my torso. And then the and then the being's like, oh, so he grabs the torso instead, he starts choking him that way. Archie was unfamiliar with alien this alien's anatomy, but you know, did the best guesswork that he could based on human experiences. Eventually the being overpowered the alien. And the alien died. Archie, as the being, didn't know how to use uh the alien soul for anything to, you know, to charge his iPod or something. So the being left the cavern, went back up through the Grand Canyon, and then he goes to the uh, tour guide office for the Grand Canyon. He's just like, hey, it's uh, me, Archie. Just want to let you know, uh, I'm not a human anymore. I'm this alien creature now, but I'm totally ready to work whenever the next shift happens. And then he just went to work the next day.
Well, I take it. I take it you wrote the uh, the Alien Tourist season based on our previous conversation about unprecedented times. Probably. Was it the snitch? Was that you? No, that was you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't remember. <laughs> That's what you get, mm-hmm. snitch. I'll be reading one more story this evening. This next story is called Spiders Friend and Foe. That is so you. spiders. He loved spiders. He constantly had to correct everyone that spiders weren't insects. Insects had six legs. Spiders had eight. Therefore, spiders were much more badass than insects. He would never, he didn't collect spiders. He would never keep them in jars or anything. But he had a barrage of different types of arachnids in his backyard. And when he saw them, he'd always hang out with them, let them crawl on his fingers. Even if he saw a spider in his house, build a web in the corner of his room, he would let that spider keep a, keep a web in the corner of the room as like a room and board kind of a situation so that the spider would catch bugs and therefore earn its pay. spiders. Even when he was hanging out with friends, he was always giddy about seeing spiders and whatnot. If if you walked in a park with other friends and whatnot, he would always stop if he saw a spider and be like, oh, let's hang out with the spider for a bit. And his friends would be like, all you do is hang out with spiders. And you just hang out with them and you just, you know, they're just little, they're just little creatures and whatnot, you know. You can just look up pictures. Why don't you just go study spiders or something? And he's just like, I study life. But I don't just study spiders. I study insects. I just hang out with them, let them crawl on my fingers, let them in my house. Maybe I'll leave them some crumbs or something. You know, and spiders, some bugs, you know, I'll leave, I'll leave some webs open in my house. But I love spiders. So, one day he was sitting on his, uh, sitting next to a window, having a cup of tea and a cookie. And a spider crawled up on the windowsill, and he's just like, oh yeah, another spider, how lovely. You know, spiders, I think I relate to spiders more than people in a lot of ways. In fact, you little spider, 
or my best friend, he started to say. And the spider was just like, hey. And the, he was like, what? You need to knock off this uh, spider business here. And he's just like, well, what do you mean, little spider friend? And he's just like, yeah, that's right there. Don't call me your spider friend. You don't even know me, all right? You're hanging out with all these spiders. You know all these spiders. Me, on the behalf of the spiders in your backyard, please leave us alone. Let us do our spider things. If any spiders come and want to do a room and board situation with the corner of your room to catch bugs and stuff, in order to keep a web in your house, you know, that's cool. We're grateful for that. But, like, don't, you know... Wait, little spider friend, come back. And the spider just starts creeping away, and then that's the end of that. Eventually, he would go in his backyard, and he'd never see spiders. And when he saw a spider, they just turned the other way immediately. And it's just like, ah, I always thought of myself as a friend of the spiders, like the uh, grizzly man guy. But actually, the spiders are my foe. I don't know what to do about this. with who studied arachnids and whatnot and he constantly consulted him about spider shenanigans and whatnot so he called him and the professor says uh, what is it this time yeah the spiders in my backyard don't want me to hang out with them in the, anymore is there any way i can change your mind and the professor's just like uh you know i don't you know it's you know, humans do their thing, spiders do their thing. Maybe you shouldn't push yourself on these spiders, you know. If you co it's, you know, it's great to coexist and whatnot. But spiders have other shit to deal with than you wanting to hang out with them. And then the professor hung up. And he sat down. Really quizzically, and it's just like, ah. I really want to hang out with these spiders, you know. So he's just like, you know, fuck it, I just want to hang out with these spiders, I'm gonna do it. So he goes in the backyard and he does what he usually does, he picks up the spiders, lets them crawl on his fingers and whatnot, and eventually started to keep spiders in jars over time. Eventually started a collection of spiders, you know. He didn't see it in the way of friendship as he used to, but he was just like, yeah, spiders are just something I'm really into now. Had pet spiders, even got a tarantula, got it shipped from, you know, where you find tarantulas and whatnot. He he changed his relationship with spiders. As someone just into spiders instead of someone trying to be their friend. And then one day he wakes up and his wrists are constrained by spider webs. Layers and layers of them, so he can't break three. He's just like, oh, I'm trapped here. His ankles are the same thing. Again, constrained to his bedpost. And his room is filled with spiders. Wall to wall. Ceiling and floor. And he's just like, oh, what's going on? And then the first spider that confronted him on that day, having tea and a cookie, said, we told you to leave us alone. We just want to do spider shit, catch bugs and stuff, and build really fucking cool webs. Some of us may place those webs in places where people run into them, but you know, we, it's a process of building webs and stuff, but we 
We told you to just let us be. But now, we gotta do away with you. And he says, oh no, what, what kind of spider doom are you gonna bestow upon me? And then a spider said, well, we already did. We laid a bunch of eggs in your stomach. They should hatch at any moment. And then he says, oh my gosh, no. So he breaks out of the web, and he runs out of his room, out of his house, and he's just, uh, I just gotta do something about these spiders. So he goes to the pharmacy uh, across the street, and he's just like, oh, I need something to get rid of these spiders. And the pharmacy person is just like, we don't, uh, we don't know how to treat that. We're not a doctor. You should call an ER. And he says, oh, great, good idea. So he calls the ER and he goes to the hospital and says, like, oh, we're being quarantined for COVID now. He says, like, shit, never mind. So he bails. So he says, like, fuck, what am I going to do all these spider eggs festering inside me? So he goes back to his house and he finds a gallon of milk uh, in his fridge. And he's just like, oh, that's it. So he chugs the milk as much as he can. Eventually he vomits into the sink with the spider eggs along with it. Some of them were already hatched, already crawling into his belly. And they look up, up at him and they say, Father. And he's just like, what? When the spiders laid eggs in your stomach, they took your, they, the eggs absorbed your DNA. And now we are, we are part you. And he's just like, um, okay. <laughs> Ah, uh, I didn't plan for this. Um, no, no one ever does. <laughs> well, I got an idea. Um, so he scoops up his spider babies, about fifty of them, and uh, just and the other eggs as well, because they're his kin also. Into his little tank, and he goes back into his room. He's like, "Hey, um, we gotta. I don't know how many of you laid eggs in my belly, but we gotta." handle some sort of, like, custody system with these spiders. I mean, I can do weekends or half the week if you want to oh hang out with them the other week. <laughs> but, like... <laughs> but, uh, we gotta, we gotta figure something out here. And then the head spider that approached him, uh, during the day, he had tea and a, uh, cookie. He was just like, well... Alright, we can follow some contracts, we can make this work. We will accept you as one of us if you take care of our kin. And like uh, the guy was just like, yeah, uh, that sounds great. I mean, you know, I kind of have I have kids to take care of. I'm not gonna just like hang out with you all day, you know. And he says, all right, well, let's get to it. So uh, he hires a lawyer and he comes by. And he starts uh, drafting a custody system. You know, just like, all right, well, I think we can... Okay, so half the, so half the week in the backyard, half week in the house. Um, I got some jars that they can stay in. He's like, no, we, we're not really in the jars. Just let us out in the open. He's like, all right, fine, that works. You know, I can, I can dedicate a room in my house to just, like, having spider webs, and you guys can just, like, hang out there. He's like, yeah, I think the kids are really like that, you know. That'd be really cool. And he says, yeah, but what about school? Should they go to school, or are they going to be, like, half human? And it's just like, no, nah, they're going to be spiders and whatnot, you know. I mean, they'll have human DNA, but they're not going to be human enough to, like, want to, like, do, like, human shit all the time. 
He's just like, alright, well, we can take care of that. The contracts are signed, and then... And then him and his 50 uh, spider babies. They just live on in the house, and eventually the spider babies grow up into spider adults. Some of them go to college, some of them go, uh, travel the world as just like spider people, you know, hanging out among spiders and humans. And then one day, he's gotten older, hanging out with the spider children, all 50 of them. They're all, you know, middle-aged adults, all having very fulfilling lives and families of their own. And then he's sitting, uh, lounging on his lounge chair next to the fire, hearing it crackle in the background. And it's just like, uh, I couldn't ask for anything more. All of you, all of you children, filled my life with so much love and joy and satisfaction. And the spider babies all agree in their own they all have their own personalities, all have their own lives to deal with. And he's like, yeah, that's right. That's right, Dad. You just you just go rest now. And he says, I think I will. So he leans back and then passes on. And then the spider babies are just like, huh. He was a great dad. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst excuse for a deadbeat dad. <laughs> spider children I've ever heard. You know, like, well, what was he supposed to do? Is there like a fucking spider welfare office? Mm-hmm. Spider fair. Spider welfare? Um, he could have done better. He could have. It's a toxic masculinity story. Also, like, just needs to, he needs to be involved in everything, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's what being a man is about. You'll end up with 500 spider children. And that is... Is there, like, spider child support? And thus concludes Quarantine Spook Show for this evening. There may or may not be spider child support. (laughs) Submit your titles to Quarantine Spook Show (laughs) at gmail.com If you call one of them spider child support perhaps you get your answer about how really involved this father was with the spider babies that very very intrusive for sure did not know his boundaries considering uh, you know the ways of spiders and whatnot but also the spiders laid a bunch of eggs in his stomach I didn't know that Surrey was going to go there. That he'd have a full, fulfilled you, family. You it up. I know, but I don't just, just ha, you know. You're the arbiter of our nightmares. <laughs> the arbiter of nightmares. That's nightmare. that's what uh, quarantine spooks are all about, probably. <laughs> Tune in next week. I hope your mom's listening. She probably is. <laughs> listening or watching to some capacity. Hi, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> and thus concludes Quarantine Spook Show.